this is Lisa Kai. If you want to learn the six and seven figure science to success, significantly increase your revenue and learn how to successfully build professional relationships, you should be listening to the Sell Without Selling podcast with my good friend, Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven-figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. Lisa Sakai founded One Vision Retirement with two ideas in mind, a client first approach and a focus on advice and planning. Her mission is simple, to cut through the noise and provide thoughtful, customized financial advice tailored for your personal situation. In other words, she's not a one-size-fits-all nor a cookie cutter. And you know my philosophy about cookie cutting. Cookie cutters belong in a kitchen, not in our financial planning, not in our business, and definitely not in our coaching. Lisa's story began like many origin stories do in Hollywood. Three years after graduating from Kenyon College, Lisa was working for a well-established film producer when she noticed he was green lighting projects that didn't align with her values. She was sitting in a car wash getting the producer's car detailed for the fourth time that week when she realized, I want to make a difference. After trying careers in education and then insurance, she found her calling providing financial advice and planning for female professionals and their growing families. With the heart of a servant and the mind of a teacher, Lisa is always available to help you when you need her most, but especially when you think you don't need her. Lisa has a unique ability to take complicated concepts, terms, and ideas and present them in a way that is easy to understand. She begins by helping you to identify your financial goals and concerns. Then she illustrates what is currently being done to address your goals. And finally, she discovers gaps in the overall plan and offers solutions to fill those gaps. Lisa will even consult with your parents and children to ensure that everyone's vision of financial success is aligned. Armed with a nurturing, team-oriented approach, Lisa will tap into an array of specialists to mastermind solutions for your personal needs. From the initial meeting to the formulation and implementation of the plan, Lisa is accessible and available every step of the way. Lisa was past president of the Mission Viejo Chamber of Commerce, an avid theater goer. Lisa also enjoys trail running, cooking, reading, traveling, food, kickboxing, and spin class. I am so excited for you to hear my conversation today with Lisa. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business, in your success, or you just want more, and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. Okay, let's do this. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really am excited to have this conversation. You know, the more I get to know you, the more I've been really excited for you to be on this show. I know you have a lot of valuable information for our listeners to really embrace when it comes to you know, the financial mindset, controlling the itty bitty shitty committee beast in, in, in making moves and decisions and, you know, being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, it's not easy. And 
if we're really going to work for financial comfort and success, why not do it with intention, right? Mm -hmm. Very much so, so. Before we get into, you know, the beast of the financial mind, let's talk about your journey as a financial sure. entrepreneur. You know, you uh, lived lived in my backyard. You know, Mission Bay not too far. <laughs> And yeah. now I believe you're in Arizona, correct? I am. Yeah, I made the shift to Arizona about a year ago. Nice. So you moved from mm -hmm. a cooler to a microwave. Yeah, well, actually, I'm in northern Arizona, so it's not too bad, yeah. but it's still it's still hot. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk about your journey as an entrepreneur. Sure. Um, I'd love you, to. Yeah, absolutely. So so how'd you get started? Um, so mine was a very interesting uh, journey to this. You, you kind of, uh, uh, in the bio, you read through how I got into, away from Hollywood. I'd always thought I wanted to be in the Hollywood world and wanted to do screenwriting and then being an agent and all this stuff. And it just didn't necessarily fit with what I was trying to accomplish, which was I work very hard, like every entrepreneur out there, we're always working 60 hour weeks and if, if not more than that, right? And and um, I've always had a really strong work ethic, but I was sitting there going, what am I doing this for? How is this really impacting anybody? And if I'm going to work this hard, I want to make a difference. I want to impact people. And so I went to the complete opposite, I would say, of being in Hollywood, which was being a teacher. <laughs> and I went the complete opposite way. And I was a teacher for about six years. Um, and I didn't enjoy the politics of teaching. Um, there's always there's always somebody looking over your shoulder telling you how to do this or that or the other thing when my want or my desire was to really impact these kids mm -hmm. and um and I was finding that it was very difficult to do that so I got on on monster.com that was what was out there back then and yeah. I started looking for job opportunities for teachers and um all this stuff kept coming up about financial planning, financial advisor, insurance, you know, they love teachers in their industry. And I understand yeah. why completely now. And I thought, well, I mean, I can help in that respect. And I started doing that. And the funniest part of this is that once I started interviewing and finding the place I ended up being at for 10 years, I, I never really actually made the choice to become an entrepreneur. I never really realized that I was becoming a business owner. I just thought, oh, well, if I sell something, then I get a commission or I get, you know, something like that. But you don't really think of yourself as a business owner. And about two to three years in, I was like, oh, I run a business. Like I've got a market. I've got to like build relationships. I have to have a process. I have to all that stuff. And it was funny how I just never really made that choice. Um, but I haven't worked for somebody for 12 years. I don't think I'd ever go back mm -hmm. to doing that. And, um, and the last company that I was with for so many years was wonderful. And we, we moved on my business partner. I moved on so that we could have complete freedom of being able to work with clients the way that we felt our clients needed to be worked with that every client's an individual. And we've got to make sure that we have the resources and the ability to work with them in the way that works best for them. Yep. And so we've been doing this one vision retirement for about two years now, just love the freedom that we have to be able to, to work with our clients the way our clients need to be worked with and make sure we're taking care of them. That's phenomenal. So you know, it's it's funny because a lot of people really don't look like they're built or feel like they're building a business. They don't mm -hmm. think they are. You know, yeah. they, they they just they have a passion, they have a desire, they have a product, service, or solution, and they're excited about it and they want to get it out to the world. And then fast forward, it's either not working or it's working really great. And they wake up one day and have this epiphany. And this epiphany is I have a business, I'm a business owner. And that's good or bad. Right. right. It's, it's bad because they realize they did a really great job painting themselves into a corner and creating a job for themselves. Yeah. It's bad because they didn't build the concept from a business perspective. And it's mm -hmm. great because you realize finally that you really do control the trials, the tribulations, the successes and the falls. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. 
How easy was it for you? Let's talk about that. It was really difficult. I will never say that I was, you know, you hear people and they come into this industry and they have, you know, a hundred thousand dollar year right off the bat. I, that was not me. I made eight grand my first year and four grand of that was working with my parents. So, you know, that was super successful. So, so (laughs) I, you know, it's funny. I didn't know I didn't know how I wanted to build it. I I was lucky in some respect that I came into this industry really not knowing anything. I didn't come in with a big ego going, I know all this financial stuff and I know all this stuff that clients need to know. And I, I came in very open. I was good with my own finances, but I wasn't a financial expert in any respect. And that helped with conversations with clients. But I really realized there the industry and not to pick on the industry, but the industry is for the most part, a lot of it is set up to sell product, sell mm-hmm. a service, sell product. And I have found that I don't, I don't do well in that environment because I want to get to know my client. I want to see where I fit, see how I can bring value to them and impact them in a positive way. And that's not necessarily selling life insurance to them, selling a long-term care plan to them, handling their investments right away. All of that is product. And I'm not a product person. I'm a, let's build a relationship person. Let's let me be here to help service you and make sure that you are getting to what you want in your life. That's what I'm really about. And so it's been interesting, the sales process and just kind of getting into that, it took a long time because it was very against the grain of what this industry tends to teach a lot. Mm-hmm. I know you work with a lot of financial professionals out there, so you know what I'm talking about. It's it's not the way it's necessarily taught. And I love the fact that I do planning first, that it's all about the relationship. It's most of my conversations is talking about strategy and how can we do something better for the client Mm-hmm. rather than talking about a rate of return or talking about, you know, the premiums going up in your long-term care plan. That was never, it doesn't excite me. And I don't feel like has a huge impact on clients in their, in the long-term. Right. Right. So when you made this realization that you actually had a business, mm-hmm. uh, what success point or lack of success point were you at then? I was probably at a lack of success. It took a good four or five years to really start ramping up. And, um, and so I probably realized it year two or three, um, that I was a business owner. And I, I think I realized it when one day I woke up and I thought, I don't have any appointments. I don't have anything. And I realized that I was having to create my day because there was nothing on my calendar that day that I had to do. Mm-hmm. And what was I going to fill that with? And I started thinking about marketing or a new networking group or something that I could be doing. And I thought, this is what business owners do. <laughs> We're thinking about how to get business in the door. Yeah. And then um, I think it really hits you when you incorporate as a business too, when you become an S corp and you have to deal with taxes and forms and stuff like that. You're like, Ooh, I'm truly a business owner. But I think that realization was way was way earlier than that when I realized that I was in control of how I wanted to run my day and how I wanted to conduct business. And I think that's true business ownership. When you can really hone in on what your values are, what your company stands for, what you stand for, and what you want to provide to a client, whether that's your product or service or something like that. It's, I think that's really that aha moment mm-hmm. is, is really at that point. Yeah. You know, I, um, as you had just previously stated, I work a lot with, uh, financial services period, you mm-hmm. know, just, just a, as a coach, as, as someone who trains NLP and sales and leadership and communication between financial advisors, financial planners, Uh, life insurance agents, any type of insurances, mortgage and real estate, you know, that little financial mafia. Mm. I I work with them because they are working with consumers at a very delicate point. You know, a lot of people have money triggers, they have money issues. and, 
And we as business owners and entrepreneurs get to deal with our stuff so that we can help move other people through their stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I say that because you brought up a few really, really powerful points that I want our listeners to hear. First, you brought up the E word, ego. Mm -hmm. You know, one, one thing that I have seen that really separates those who make it and those who don't are those who realize how disempowering ego really is, not only for the projector, also for the receiver, right? Mm-hmm. There's, this, there's this fine line between ego and confidence. Yes. This fine line between arrogance and confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there are trainers out there that have that arrogance, that have that ego, and, and that's great. They attract their people. And from, from a general masses perspective your future perspective client is human Mm -hmm. they have a need want and desire and the uh, i'll say in air quotes the less human you are in the interaction the less connectability there will be i understand the need to be confident However, a little overconfidence can go a long way in pushing your prospective client away. Yeah, absolutely. The the other thing that that you had had mentioned was, uh, I'm going to do a a bad job at quoting you, so I'm going to paraphrase. You're you're not a product salesperson, Mm -hmm. right? You, you show up to, to understand their needs, understand their plan. So if I, if I may, okay, mm-hmm. if I may, two things. One, I think that is solid advice for all of our listeners to really show up and remove our needs, wants, and desires from the equation so that we can step into other people's map of reality, speak into their listening, and serve and satisfy their needs. Mm -hmm. I say that to say there comes a point where we must, as service and solution providers, there comes a point where we must accept responsibility to put that sales hat on. And, And so many salespeople want to take the soft sales approach. Look, the name of this podcast is Sell Without Selling. You can't get any softer than that, right? Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> uh, a, lot, a lot of salespeople take that soft sales approach and, and they take it too far. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is if you're doing all the relationship building, if you're doing all of the nurturing, the educating, if you're doing all of the helping and serving, and if you have competition, and we all know, because Lord knows I preach it enough on this podcast, the brain is incapable of achieving ambiguity. The brain needs a call to action. And you, as that servant leader, must put a call to action together. Because if you don't, you've done all the forefront work for your competitor to come in do the kill, so to speak, and probably slaughter the prey and not serve them at the capacity that you could have. And I agree. I find this in, I find that behavior, not that I'm saying or alluding that that you have this, I, I find that behavior with people who have a, a self-belief problem or a self-worth problem or a money mindset issue or uh they when when they show up they're they're reserved because they're they're afraid to use their voice they're afraid to ask for the sale right yeah Yeah, that's so that is so where I was the first six years of my business yeah I I you, you've, I don't know how you've done it, but you've hit it right on the nail. And until I got very clear on not just asking for the sale, but the self-worth piece was huge. Right. And once I was able to get that 
taking, I, I don't think it ever goes away, but understanding it better and understanding how to use that to help me make things better and, and show worth and show, show that kind of stuff and understand that if somebody wants to continue that conversation and get the value that I provide, they have to be a client. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to my other clients. Mm -hmm. If, if I don't, don't require them to become a client at some point. And so, gosh, you hit it right on the nail. That's exactly what my journey was for the first, I would say six to seven years at least. You know, I train entrepreneurs, business owners, and sales professionals every day. So that I'm just talking about what's in my training room, right? Mm -hmm. Who I coach and, and a couple of things. So number one, uh, self-worth issues, self-esteem issues, self-value issues, low self-belief issues, all of them can disappear. It's very, very easy. It, it happens in a second. It's the second the unconscious mind embraces the learning and can move through it. So, so it does shift. However, I want to, I want to, I want to elaborate on something you just said. You had this realization that um, that you can't help them if they're not a client, and that it's not fair to your other clients. I want to elaborate on that. So many, so many entrepreneurs, business owners, sales professionals show up with a servant heart because, you know, the pin them in a the corner, grab them by the throat and hard close them days. It doesn't work anymore, yeah. right? I mean, you can, you're going to have buyer's remorse. They'll probably cancel return or do a chargeback, right? Yep. However, however, so many have flipped because they've realized that our perspective client is very clear on the fact that they have a need, want, and desire for a product, service, and solution. They've already window shopped on Google. They've already done their research. They're not standing in front of you by accident. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the servant leadership approach with any of that baggage, any of the itty bitty shitty committee deploying, what happens is these people over deliver, they over, over educate, mm -hmm. and they do what's known as premature closure. Premature closure is where the mind turns around and says, predominantly the conscious filter, turns around and says, that's a really good idea. I've never heard that before. Let me go do that one thing that they just taught me. And when that works, I'll come back and then I'll hire them. What happens is the theory with our mind is when we're part of our problem, we'll never be part of our solution. So they, we need an expert like you to get us out of our way so we can get on our way and have our way. Mm -hmm. So that's the posture as salespeople that we get to take because you can be servant in your heart. You absolutely can. And you're doing your prospective future client an injustice if you don't move them through your decision-making process into your service. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And that's what was happening uh, to me is we would do, we would do plans for free. Because that was the value you were supposed to bring in order yeah. to uh, educate and I guess this sounds horrible, but it's true, stack the deck so that yeah. they know that the insurance is something that they need. And this is the very, this is, this is why here's all the proof. And I found that people were going off and saying, I can implement this on my own. I can do, so they weren't doing any of it. And I had a client, uh, she's currently a client now. I had a couple that came in and we had done the plan and they had never followed through with anything, never came back, never did anything. And I got a call from her um, about three years ago and her husband had passed away in her, in his sleep. And he was young. He was under age 50 and they had done none of what we had talked about. Ouch. And she just didn't know what to do. And Luckily, we've gotten her to a place that she's independent. She can, she can handle everything that she needs. But I just thought I'm never doing that again. Mm. I'm never letting somebody walk out and not fully understand the, the consequence, I guess, the, the educated decision that they're making by not moving forward with yeah. something. 
Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's the thing is I always try to lay out for people that this is what it's like working with me. And this is, this is what you're deciding to do. If you decide not to, mm-hmm. and not just me, but not working with any financial professional, maybe I'm not the right fit for them. I'm willing to admit I'm not the right fit for everybody, right. uh, but you need to find somebody. And the challenge with financial planning is that there's everything on Google, right? You can Google anything and find an article about how you should do Roth conversions, or you should do this, or you should do that. And then you need to buy this. There's just a ton of information. And because it's on Google, it's right. It's right. Exactly. (laughs) It's on Forbes. Of course it's right. right. I mean, there's no opinion on that. And my issue is that how do you take all that information as just a, an everyday person who's just trying to work hard, save some money, have a life that they love? How do you take that information and filter it and know what's for you and what's not for you? Because if you listen to some of these financial experts, they tell you to buy this stock and this stock. Well, they never tell you that those stocks didn't do well. They just keep telling you new stocks that you should be buying. Yeah. And it doesn't fit with what you're trying to accomplish. It doesn't fit your risk. It doesn't fit, fit your timeline. It, there's so many aspects that go into this. Mm-hmm. I um, I had a client who had two different, he's a business owner. He had two different business retirement plans up and running at the same time, not knowing that that was not allowed. You're not allowed to contribute to both of them. And he'd been doing that for years. <laughs> and nobody bothered to tell him that that wasn't allowed to do. And I, I, I said, well, look, we got to stop one of them. You can't keep doing this. But it just shows how important having those partners in your life when you're a business owner, when you're, when you're just trying to create a wonderful life for yourself, you need to have those resources helping you filter all that information out. Yeah. And so yeah. I think once I realized that and what my role is with people, that I think it was much clearer on how to, I completely agree. I was the educator. I was the, give them all this education and show my worth. And especially coming from an education background and not a financial background, I, I, you know, I had self-doubt. I thought, I don't know what I'm talking about. These guys have huge educations and I don't know. I, I don't have that background. Um, I had my own insecurities when I was really young. I knew nothing about finance and who am I to tell people what to do on this and all that stuff. And I think over time you start to go, well, I have a lot of knowledge now. It's been eight years. I think I have an idea <laughs> of what I'm talking about. But at the same time too, I think, you know, it just, you start to realize that people just need a sounding board and they need advice and they need help figuring this stuff out. And that's really what my role is for clients. I love that. I yeah. love that. So I kind of want to shift gears, you know, sure. you're, you're a financial expert. And as someone that deals with probably the deepest, darkest parts of people's skeletons in the closets, right? We, you know, all salespeople, all entrepreneurs, all business owners deal with not only their itty bitty shitty committee, they also deal with the future prospective clients itty bitty shitty committee yeah. because of their lack of planning, their lack of, of financial mindset, you know, all of that. You're dealing with it on both ends. You know, mm-hmm. one, they have, they get to hire you. So they have to spend money for your knowledge. And then yeah. two, you want their money to protect them. So yes. they got to stop buying their Louis Vuittons and their Mercedes and their BMWs <laughs> and really start looking at one day I'm going to need money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as someone who's got the dichotomy of both sides, dealing with your own and dealing with your prospective clients, yeah. how do you overcome that financial mindset hurdle? Yeah, I, that's a really great question. I'll start with the client part of it because that's the easier part of it and I'll definitely okay. come to mind. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I do a little differently is that we focus a lot on bucket list planning and dreaming planning. Mm-hmm. So those things like you can't buy your Louis Vuitton, I'm going to take your example. Well, you can. Do we have a strategy on how you're going to buy it, when we're going to buy it? And what's next after that? And how are we going to fit that into our budget for our overall planning mm-hmm. versus 
uh, I can't have it. It's like there's a lot of correlation that happens between financial planning and and health, right? And diets. This always <laughs> always seems yeah. to come up, and I always have my struggle with my own diets and stuff, so I bring it up a lot. So essentially, it's like you can't say I'm never going to have chocolate again because that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not. I mean, I'm just never. It, you're just not going to go your whole life without eating chocolate. You're going to have chocolate, and then you'll probably binge if you don't do if you don't provide that for yourself. So how do we find those things that you truly, truly want? Not the things that society has told you to have. Like every client I talk to, I say, what do you want to do in retirement? And they say, oh, I want to travel. Where, why, how? And when you start to poke holes into that, half of them actually don't really want to travel. They just think that that's what they're supposed to do they want to go fishing every day or they want to go you know they want to do something different and so it's really about peeling back what they really want why they want it and then really segmenting out okay this is our first one that we're going to try to accomplish let's do it if it's buying a Louis Vuitton bag I've had clients want that as their first thing and that's totally fine and we work towards that but we build it into your savings plan so that you're motivated by something you truly want. And you're basically taking that side of us where we always say, oh, I'll take care of myself later. I'll, I'll get there. I'll yeah. push that back. You know, I, I'm not as important as taking care of my parents, my kids, my wh- whoever you want to put in there. And instead, let's build something around something you truly can visualize and want and put that in your saving budget so that you're saving for your future so you can continue to have those wonderful things that you want to have. But you're getting some immediate gratification a lot sooner than people think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we do that a lot. It's about shifting from, oh, I done everything wrong. I should have saved sooner. I should have done, you know, the, the dread that kind of comes on people when they start talking about money. And let's start looking at it a positive fun thing to do. My husband always says, playing a game with yourself. Mm -hmm. And so when he said that to me early on, I didn't think about it, but it really is playing a game, having fun, doing something that truly brings you joy now will help motivate you in the future. Yeah. It's the whole concept of the carrot and the stick. Exactly. Exactly. Now for me, I have my own issues with money because we all do. All right. So I always come from, um, I came from just a little bit of background. Um, I'm half Japanese. This guy's Mm -hmm. my maiden name. Um, and my family was part of the internment camps. So my family had a farm that was taken away from them. They moved to Arizona and then to Chicago. And when my grandfather came out of that, I think he came out with this idea of, I am building enough wealth to take care of myself. I am living the life I want to. Nobody's Mm -hmm. taking it away from me. Mm -hmm. And so he and my grandmother, um, got this book, and I don't even know the title of the book, but they got this book about investing in real estate. And they worked that book like nobody's business. And he was able to retire at age 55, Mm -hmm. completely fine, multimillionaire, and not trillions of millions, but you know, enough to survive. Um, And he really lived their life of, we're saving for this. This is what I really want. And my dad is a little resentful because he had two pants growing up because they, they, they were on this journey of saving money and they were not going to spend enough to have four sets of pants for him for the week. Yeah. And when he found out how much money they actually had, it, it made him a little upset, which I don't blame him in some respects. Um, And so my dad had the complete opposite side of money. It was just, you know, do what you need, never gave me guilt about money. So I'm kind of stuck in between those two a little bit. I feel a little guilty when I spend money. Um, My husband came from not much. So he always has guilt associated with money, which feeds into mine a little bit. And I think, you know, you, when you have guilt around money, when I'm asking somebody to invest in me, to pay for planning, to pay for consultation, it, it, it can be difficult. And so what I have to remember is, am I truly going to be bringing value to them? 
And if I can answer and really think about that client and go, yes, I truly will make their life better, then that helps me get away from that guilt of asking somebody to pay money. Um, the one thing that I'm always still struggling with, and maybe you have some good advice on this, is, is, you know, I always think, well, I wouldn't necessarily pay that. So will somebody else pay that? And so that, I try to get myself out of that, but sometimes it, it wins over still. Yeah. So that's so, probably my one area that I could use some help on. <laughs> so that's awesome. So, so several things, you know, as, as a business, we need to be investing in ourselves, mm-hmm. right? As a business, you should be earmarking 20 to 30% of your gross annual revenue back into yourself because what you feed grows and what you starve dies. Now, as far as that projection goes that Lisa just brought up where, you know, I don't know if I'd pay that, that's actually being projected out to your prospective client. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I was uh, doing a weekend training and I had a uh, woman in the training and um, she was a, they're not around anymore, a uh, Soshide Chocolates uh, person. And it was healthy chocolate that had, that was packed full of antioxidants, right? Mm -hmm. So then um, she had passed samples out to everyone at break and you know, I'm not a big chocolate eater, although we have a modality in NLP that allows people to let go of vices, like something that you like that you wish you didn't. We can replace how your body stores it with something that you dislike, right? So everybody always wants to give up chocolate. Well, a few things. That's too general, right? Because, because there's a thousand different million different types of chocolate, right? So the way we get around that is I laugh and I said, well, in my opinion, it's unecological to release chocolate because it's the only thing that keeps men alive. So, <laughs> however, reality is it's chocolate's just too ambiguous and the body would store a Babe Ruth differently than it would store a Reese's peanut butter cup or whatever, oh. right? So that, that's really what it is. However, we do, we do poke fun at it. I, I say all that to say this woman, um, uh, my, my, my partner at the time, now my wife, I mean, we're talking 20 years ago, uh, was, uh, was and is a holistic health practitioner and she's in, she's a holistic nutritionist. So, and she loves high cacao ratio chocolate because she knows how good, you know, a couple pieces are for your body and the antioxidants and yada, yada. So I turned around and I, I tasted it not being a big chocolate fan, I turned around and said, well, she'd really like this. You know, I read the ingredients. It was, it was all on board. And, and, uh, and I said, why don't you give me, I think it was like 10 boxes, you know, and they were like a hundred dollars a box and she turned pale. And I, I asked her what's wrong. I, I said, look, I can wait if you need to ship it. It's fine. And she goes, do you know how expensive they are? And I looked at her. Now, keep in mind, I, I own, built, and run a seven-figure business. And I was like, why would that matter to me? And are you trying to talk me out of a sale? <laughs> you know, I found out later that she lived in her car. And, oh, yeah. And money was an issue for her. And she projected it out on, on me and several other people. Mm-hmm. I, I say that to say, if the itty bitty shitty committee is going off on you, mm-hmm. they don't know what's happening. All they know is something doesn't feel right. And if something doesn't feel right, they rarely will move forward. So sense. it's really impossible. It's really, really important for us to get a grip on that mind chatter and tame that beast, you know? There's, there's a reason why the majority, uh, the average salesperson closes 10% of the sales. It's just because there's a need, want, and desire and business falls on their lap. A well-trained salesperson can close 30% of the sales. And that's just because they've learned all of the ninja negotiations and, and everything like that. All the sales techniques, the closing techniques. My one-on-one closing ratio is 88%. 
So the difference between them and me is that 10%, that average salesperson, they're really repelling 90% of their prospective clients. That well-trained salesperson is repelling 70%. I'm turning away the 12% I don't want to do business with. So this is why people think sales is a numbers game. Sales isn't a numbers game. Sales is a science. And the science starts with us. Calm down the mind chatter. Shift our programming. You know, you had brought up your grandfather's financial behavior, your father's financial behavior, and you have the, the paradox, the dichotomy of the two of them splitting you. That's mm -hmm. a program. And that program runs consciously and unconsciously. So it's a matter of rewriting it to, to serve whatever life somebody wants to live, right? So I'm really, really excited that you shared this last story with our listeners because I know that a lot of times, and your transparency was phenomenal, a lot of times people are sitting in front of clients and they've got that bully in the brain beating them down. You know, do I lead with, with, do I lead with the thing I think they need the most? Man, that's like $10,000. Can they pay that? Will they pay that? Will my competition underquote me? So then the whole time this bully on the brain is beating them down, they're sitting there and the client's feeling something and they don't know what they're feeling. You know, the HeartMath Institute did a study that everything that goes on inside of us, we project out 15 to 30 feet in front of us. So we actually enter a room before we ever enter it. And people feel us, they feel what's going on and they, they can't name it. They can't place it. They just, they'll receive it as warmth. Have you ever met somebody who says, oh my gosh, I feel like I've known you forever. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you ever met somebody that you just knew they needed your product service and solution? They were going to lock down and then they didn't. Mm -hmm. That's that whole projection thing. And okay. so many people avoid talking about it and it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us have this rolling in our minds, um, but we don't, especially in my industry, we want to act like we've got it all together. We're good finance. You know, we don't have these insecurities. And I think that that is a myth that needs to get broken for people, because I think that that's why people don't want to work with finance yeah. advisors yeah, because they, they like think they have that it all everybody's going to judge them that I've got this perfect financial life. I don't have any hangups about money. I don't overspend on something that my husband's like, what are you, what are we doing? <laughs> Why are you spending that? You know, we have these same issues. We just have the knowledge of some of the IRS rules and things like yeah. that that can help you, but we're here to to walk you through that. And I think the biggest thing that a financial advisor has, at least one that's been in the business for a while is I hear stories all the time. Yeah. I hear it, it's the law of large numbers. I've heard a lot. So I know how things can go. And my job is to educate you. It could go this way, or it could go this way, or it could go this way, because I have that breadth of knowledge. Cause I talk finance all the time with a lot of people. And I hear all about their hangups and their good and the bad and the ugly of finance. And yeah. so that's, you know, we're not perfect. And I have my money issues just like everybody else. Yeah. And it, the beautiful just, thing is yeah. all of that's reprogrammable. All mm -hmm. of it is reprogrammable. Yeah. All, I mean, a lot of us, you know, whether we're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, however many years old we are, we're running from a program that either our parents wrote or our grandparents wrote. And the older we are, the more likely part of that program came written from the Great Depression. And there was a lot of lack in the Great Depression. So it's, right. about, it's about shifting that program so that you can shift the mindset so that you can start setting yourself up for success in the future, both physically, mentally, emotionally, and most importantly, financially, because yeah. I think we all see the writing on the wall. Social security is going to be non-existent within the next decade, if not sooner. So Lisa, welcome to the signature question of the show. 
And that is what does selling without selling mean to you? Oh, selling without selling means talking to clients, getting to know them, but also knowing that showing them value, but giving them your stuff that you need to, but also saying, I feel a connection. We need to work together. Here's my offering and not being ashamed to say, look, and I run a business. This is a paid service. And that to me, I think people are much more receptive when you're just transparent with them rather than having some, I've read all these things where it's like you ask them this little question that will lead to this question or will lead. And yes, there are some of those things, but a lot of the times when you're reading that through other other sales guides, especially in our industry, it's usually very manipulative. It's not, it's not being transparent or honest or real at all. And instead of just saying, look, if this is a service, I provide a lot of value for clients. This is what I do. This is how I work with people. I would love to bring you on. And it's, here's, here's the offering and letting people know that there's an offering, but also another thing I've implemented is a time limit. Because I feel like people can sit back and do exactly what you said, which is, I'm going to go implement this little thing here before I work with her or before we make that decision. And a lot of times that doesn't happen in it. It's just prolonging the pain that they came with in the first place. So I I give people a time limit and I say, look, you get a little bit of a discount just for making a decision Mm -hmm. and moving forward. And that if somebody comes to me a month later after we talk and hasn't reached out, pricing might have changed by then. Yeah. And I let them know because I work with people who want to work with me. And most of us have an understanding of what we're going to do within a certain period of time. And I just honor and uh, reward those people that make those decisions a little faster. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a fast action discount. Yeah. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with... uh, with rewarding action takers and decision makers, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and the, you know, that you brought up the M word manipulation. There is a fine line between influence and manipulation mm-hmm. line of intention, right? Yeah, exactly. and, and when people attempt to use those cookie cutter scripts, mm-hmm. that, that line of intention leans more towards manipulation because cookie cutter anything doesn't fit into a conversation because the human behavior, the human dynamics, it's fluid, right? And it's ever changing. And for that reason, you can't, can't operate with a script. Yes, exactly. Because because if your script takes you one direction and they say something else, then the relationship becomes very robotic because it's not scripted. It's like when you call the 1-800-SCREW-YOU numbers, you always know when you're on a script, oh, I'm so happy that you called me. I'm sorry. My entire internet system's blown up and you think I'm happy? Because I don't know why you're happy. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Welcome to the random round, Lisa. I like to, I like to deliver questions to my expert guests because I believe that success leaves clues. And I like to ask a question so that, so that our listeners can go, you really, you know what? I really like that. And I want to apply it to myself. So uh, I'm going to feed off the teacher in you. And that is what is your favorite word and why? Goodness. Ah. You're going to ask this one. I didn't have one. Um, Authentic, I think is my favorite word right now. I, I feel like I came into my own and that the business did a lot better when I truly could be authentically who I am nice. with clients, with networking people, with anybody that I was encountering, both with my business and without. And mm-hmm. I think I think authenticity is so hard to truly do. Yeah. I and once I finally that. did it, I I feel this huge relief came off my, I was kind of doing the uh, traditional act like who you wanted to be. And I, you know, you wore the business suits and did all the, you know, heels and stuff like that. And I don't do that anymore. And my business partner and I were just talking about that. He wore jeans to meetings 
he works virtually as well, a lot of times with clients, but he was in person with them and he wore jeans and a polo shirt. Not one person gave him no. any issue with it because that's who he is and yeah. that's okay. Yeah, I love that. As a matter of fact, I did a podcast uh, a while ago and it was something along the lines of be a cat in business. And that's, and that's congruency, authenticity, and transparency. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah. really, when you look at a cat, they are what they are. And no matter what you want, they're never going to change who and what they are so because they're congruent, authentic, and transparent. Yeah. <laughs> that is so true. I had a cat and she definitely was authentic of who she was and what she wanted. <laughs> yep. So I get it. Yep. Lisa, I wholeheartedly appreciate you being on the show. I have loved talking with you and I hope that our listeners really extract a lot out of this. If they want to connect with you, find you, follow you, reach out to you, how can they? The best place is to actually look me up on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn um, and I'd love to connect to anybody who's just, you know, wanting to do a little research, understanding things. So Lisa Sakai, you know, just search for me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to do that. Also, if anybody's interested in um, getting a resource for that dream bigger piece that I was talking about, how to really figure out what you truly want and put a strategy in place, I have a download for that, a checklist essentially. So if they go to our website, onevisionretire.com, there's a resources page and they can, they can download that. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I hope you guys take Lisa up on this. Hey, listeners, your success is important to me, and it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you and for you. I'd love for you to do three things right now. First, I'd love for you to head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook, join our Sell Without Selling community. Second, jump over to Instagram. You're close to it anyway. So jump over to Instagram and follow us at the Stacy O'Byrne. That's follow us at the Stacey O'Byrne. And last and definitely not least, I'd love to chat with you and get feedback on the episodes to find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this show more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success that you've always dreamed of, desired, and know you deserve. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacey. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacey. Let's get a 15 minute call on the schedule. And always remember this, choice is a powerful thing and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.